1: Welcome to Season 2 of Welfare, the weekly running podcast with me, Amy Lane. For me, training smart means feeling confident enough to test your body, but strong enough not to wreck it in the process. That's why, when I'm not running, you'll find me working on my core power and cardio fitness, often at F45. F45 targets all three, and I love every sweaty second, even if I do groan in class. Check out www.f45training.com forward slash Welfare to find out more about how you can get involved. Thanks, F45. Hi team, welcome back to episode five of Wellfire, the running podcast with me, Amy Lane. Last week, we talked about how group workouts can improve your running. Today, we're talking about how to reach your running potential with Christopher McDougall. His latest tale of adventure is called Running with Sherman and is a beautiful account of how running can transform not only the lives of humans, but a donkey too. Honestly, I'm not making it up. And it wouldn't be a conversation with Chris if we didn't touch on barefoot running. It's one of my favourite episodes so far, and I often say that, but honestly, this episode is great. And do listen to the end of today's show, because we welcome back Annie Clark for a brilliant stretch session. Right then, this week's News You Can Use. On Sunday the 8th of December, Victoria Park in East London is going to transform into a festive course for everyone to enjoy. Yes, guys, that's right. The annual Santa Run is back. I'm running the 5K with four generations of my family. Every runner gets a Santa outfit to wear and you can either choose to pay for your entry or you can run for one of the many charities, including Save the Children. To do that, you just need to commit to raising £100. All of the information is online. This isn't sponsored. I'm just sharing it because I think it's a really fun thing to do in December. Hopefully, I will see some of you guys there. And now let's do the quick weekly shout out, which is going out to Bex Kirk, who completed 12K. And she shared it with us because she'd been listening to Far, And she said that the advice in the show had helped get her over the finish line. Well done, Bex. And also, thank you for sharing that. I really, really appreciate it. And now it's time to head into the studio. So, welcome to the studio, Chris.
0: I feel welcome in the studio. It's lovely here.
1: Ah, oh, I'm so glad you like it. You Thank too. you so much for flying in. Not especially for us, but...
0: <laughs> it feels that way. I feel like I'm home now.
1: Oh, good, good. So, Chris, it has been 10 years since Born to Run hit the shelves, which I can't believe... I actually still can't believe that I'm in my 30s because I think I'm still in my 20s, but (laughs) hey-ho. And that book changed so many people's perception of running. Can we just revisit the reason why you decided to write that book? Do you still remember the moment when you were like, barefoot running should be a thing?
0: It never really dawned on me until after the fact. Right. And that was the one chapter of Born to Run that I came within a whisker of cutting out. Like My instinct was, take that chapter out of the book. Because if you look at it, it actually disrupts the flow. Um, I'm not a science dude. Like, I hated science. I kind of cheated my way through secondary school, (laughs) copying, you know, chemistry and physics. So I'm not a science guy. And so my goal with Born to Run was I want to write a book that I want to read. Because I honestly thought most of the running literature at the time was just really bad. It was always the same story. It was always, like, one person— having a struggle in their lives, and then they discover running, and it's miserable, 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 but that misery allows them to overcome their obstacle. I'm like, that's not my experience. My experience is fun, man, you know? So I wanted to write that book, but that book meant very little science. So I figured if there's to any science, I'm going to shove it to the back of the book, the last couple of chapters, and I'm going to make it come to life. I want to have a scene. And that was like my motto, like no science without a scene. And the scene meant that I had to be in a room like I'm with you, and if you were like Dr. Lieberman, I went to his lab, or Dr. Bramble went to their lab, I'd be in the lab, and I'd be watching them put, like, quail on a treadmill to see how fast tr- quail can run. But with the running shoe section, I had no scene. And I thought, mm, I don't know, man, this is just one chapter of, like, the study says, according to researchers. But I stuck it in anyway. But at the time, I myself, the only barefoot runner I knew was Barefoot Ted. Here's the thing about it, though, was if I had written that book when I knew more it would have had much less impact. I think it had an impact because I came into it from this attitude of like, I don't know, it it seems right, but I can't swear to it. And did
1: it change your running?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I I do hear this a lot. I don't mean this to be, um, you know, grandiose, but often, and and Jane, I think, has heard it too, uh, our our, um, publicist Jane's here, at events, people will come up to me, and they are like, you know, grab me and say, look, I just want to tell you, like, your book has changed my life. And I just feel like just by saying that, I feel like I just discredited myself in the eyes of anyone listening to this podcast. I was like, oh no, this guy I think he is. But here's the deal. When I began researching Born to Run, I was not a runner. I was a guy that was always injured, didn't like running. Did, were
1: you running at all? Because I think it's funny when people say they're not a runner, but they are running. It's like when it's like people thinking that they're not a runner unless they're training for something, or they can go out and they can run a 10K or a half marathon.
0: Isn't that something? Yeah. It, it's one of the, and I, Here's the thing about it, too. I, I, I love to point fingers and throw a lot of blame around the world, but I think, unfortunately... Like the running shoe racing monopoly that running has become has created this like ghetto of people who feel like they're not runners, yeah. and you hear all that apologies all the time. Well, I'm not a I'm not a real runner. Yeah, but I honestly, I, unfortunately, I think it is. I like to blame everything on the running shoe industry. Why not? You know, <laughs> but I feel like they they created this thing where you have to have the right shoes and the right gear, and you have to be training for a race, and you have to have the right time. And if you're just, you know, some jaboni like me that just wants to go trot around in the park and feel good, well, then you're not a real runner. So I was not a real runner in the sense of, like, I literally was not running at all. Right. And the reason why was because, you know, I tried to do a little bit of training and it got hurt. And I would go see doctors, and they would kind of give me the eyeball and say, dude, look at your size of a refrigerator. You're like a refrigerator with shoes. You shouldn't be running. It's bad for the body. (laughs) That impact is bad for your body. It's bad for the joints buy a bike. And I, that makes sense. So that was it. So for years, I'd not run a step.
1: And I suppose you were always trying to fix the, like, the symptoms rather than the actual problem in the beginning.
0: But no one ever said that. Right. No one ever said that there was a fix that did not involve artificial remedies or orthotics or change the shoes. Mm. Oh, I see. Well, you're an overpronator. You need a motion control shoe. You need the, you know the midfoot, this or that. You need to go to the bewildering wall of shoes at your local running shoe store and, Stare at those 150 things and figure out which one is going to solve your problems. Nobody ever said, change the biomechanical input first. Change the behavior and change the outcome. No one ever says that. The first guy I met out of the box, before out of the box, I happened to meet Eric Gorton, uh, the guy who coached me. And I had met him for a completely unrelated magazine assignment uh, for Men's Journal in Denver. And I told him, hey, there's this tribe. He's like, "Oh, well, I know the Talabata. I, I know all about them. Like, dude, I don't even know about them. And I'm writing about them. Yeah. <laughs> And he was very familiar because he's, he's a student of all, of all things running. And um, I said, yeah, I think these dudes like run around like in these, in these sandals. Said, oh, yeah, the warachis, You know, the, the warachis of the Taro Mata are very famous. This guy's way over my head. But he said, look, man, running is about running form, and no one ever teaches that. So I was lucky right out of the box that the guy I met who started me on this process is all about running form. But the way he coached it was by watching me. And then what he was prescribing was actually uh, speed drills. He said, if you sprint, you can't run wrong if you're sprinting. Mm. If you do repeats of like a 30-second thing. And actually, I, I talk about this in Running with Sherman, because when I revisited our, I like, do now I'm running with a donkey. And he's like, back to basics, brother, back to the 30-second drill. But here was the situation. I had the good fortune of having a guy right in front of me look at the catastrophe of my form mm. and guide me. But who else has that? And so later on, after Born to Run came out, In the book, I say, you got to run barefoot or as if you're barefoot. And the obvious question is, well, how do I do that? And the problem is that motion does not translate very well to print or words. It's very hard to describe a motion. And, you know, the the best example of this is uh, Danny Dreyer, who has chi running. So he has this very famous piece of advice. He says, uh, when you begin to run, bend forward from the ankles. Now, I've actually watched demonstrations where People, you get people in a say, Okay, now, now lean forward from the ankles. If you get thirty people, you will get thirty different people interpretations of that. And I'm just,
1: I'm as you're saying that. I'm like, how do you lean forward I, from I, the ankles? I'm like leaning forward on my toes, on the ball of my feet.
0: You had that look in your eye. Like some of your eyes went <laughs> went, like, went somewhere what? else. Your eyes went out to Hyde Park for a second. You're yeah. like trying to envision. What do I do? So that's the problem. So you're just trying to instruct people in a movement. But you're trying to use words and they're processing the words. But so the hundred up was invented here in Great Britain, and it was a guy, I forget what his actual profession was, but he stuck inside all day. But he became a world champion runner. And the way he did it was this exercise called the hundred up. Essentially, all you're doing is running in place and bring your knees as high as your hips and making sure you land on the same spot, shoulder width spot. And the thing about it is, if you're actually running in place, you, it's hard to run wrong. You can't land on your heel if you're running in place. Uh, you can't, if you lose your balance, you'll go off your marks. Yeah. So, only later on when people are asking me, like, how do I do it? And then I discovered this old drill called the 100 Up. And that's when I began talking about that.
1: And you still do it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, I'm, I'm a super recidivist. I, uh, I tend to backslide ferociously off. Now, my form would go to crap um, quickly particularly in the spring, because during the winter, I'm not running barefoot. I'm, you know, I'm wearing some kind of a protective mm. shoe and a sock, and I'm not getting that ground feel, so, and I'm running less in the winter. So by the time April comes along, I'm, I have run less, uh, I have shoes on, so my form has backslid to the point where I'm sloppy. And I can feel I'm sloppy, because like my Achilles hurts, my calf is sore, and something's gone wrong. So I do the 100 up again, and it just kind like brings of you, brings you back to Jesus. <laughs> do you do it every day? Uh, no, as ne- necessary. As it's, a- it's kind of um, a reminder drill. It's like, to me, the key to running form is landing softly sort of midfootish and driving with the knee and taking short pitter patter steps, keeping your body in the air as long as you can, as opposed to on the ground. And so the hundred up is just kind of a reminder of what that feels like. And once you get it, the muscle memory, then you're, you're off and doing your thing.
1: It is an interesting one because I used to go to a track club and actually I'm only not going at the moment because I'm so busy um, and they do a similar thing which is like a high knees which teaches you just to be off the floor, rebound um, and all about speed work.
0: Yeah, and so is that something new or have they been doing that forever?
1: I think they've just always been doing it but they teach you running drills and I did notice when I was going to track the the change in the efficiency of my running and how quick I could go how quick I was turning my feet over basically um without really doing much more but also because my brain was connecting with my body in a different way so before when I just used to when I used to run I didn't really think about it I just ran whereas after I started to learn to do drills I was thinking about my form it was like get your knees up pump your arms and then when it gets tough it's like think about your glutes. Switching
0: back on. <laughs> right, right. See, that's the thing about it. I think that the track people knew this a long time ago. Yeah. The shorter distance, the fast burst people, you know, sprinters are always working on form. Mm. The problem was, it's kind of like, well, the distance people, they don't have to worry about that. You just worry about the distance. It's the short, fast people have to worry about efficiency and form, but it's not it at all. And that was like sort of the great revelation was all good runners run alike. Um, Emile Zatopek. Emile Zatopek. he basically did the 100 up. Yeah. Mil Zadopek was on guard duty in Czechoslovakia, and he was basically running in place outside of his guard station. What I love about Zadopek, too, was, I mean, he's kind of a goofball. He would run on top of his wet laundry in the bathtub, and that was his way of doing the laundry. He'd put some bunch of, you know, dirty underwear in, some soap and some water, and then he would, like, churn the clothes by running in place in the bathtub. But you can't mess up, because you've got bad form, you're going to the hospital, you know? You're going <laughs> to slip and, and fall. See? So anyway, but I love the fact that your track coaches have probably known this forever, but no one ever told like, the, uh, the aspiring half-marathoners.
1: It's interesting, actually. Track clubs are really taking off in London at the moment. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a bit of a new movement, I would say, in the past 18 months Yeah, of just teaching, like, actually, you know, let's get people running well. Right. No matter what type of runner you are. Like whether you're a casual runner or whether you're somebody who's going to go, you know, and go and, and compete in, in amateur athletics or something. Let's but let's get everyone running properly.
0: I love it. I love it. But that conversation was never taking place before. I used to just spout it off back when I was in the middle of my like throwing Molotov cocktails at the Nike swoosh era, uh, which <laughs> continues depending on the day. But you know, it's funny. I had this line in Born to Run. I said, you know, it's easy to just point the finger and blame everything on Nike, but that's okay because it's all their fault. <laughs> And I thought, oh, boy, that's, that's going to get a backlash. But I kept saying, well, you know what? If Nike wants to win a Nobel Prize, they should just put a running form coach in every town in the world. Because they could, if they can transform people's running biomechanics and you wipe out running injuries, which you very well can do, and you teach people that running is fun, just think about what kind of a health revolution that would be. Like, what if you got billions of people to enjoy running and not get hurt?
1: You've mentioned before that like running on treadmills or running with music is kind of also linked to people not reaching their full potential of running because you think it makes them zone out. Is that kind of
0: a... Well, I got to tell you one thing about me is that I will spout my own prejudices as truth. <laughs> so uh, and I'm slightly aware of it uh, that just because I believe it sometimes, yep. I assume that it has been passed down from the mountain. And so... There's a little caveat almost anything I say is like, yeah, it might be, maybe it's just okay for me. But that said, um, I do think that you know, running at its best is a craft, it's an art like anything else, like swimming or diving or gymnastics or martial arts. And you would never see anybody in a martial arts dojo with the head, you know, earbuds in that's right? so true, or even dancing you know, uh, dancers are barefoot and they are, you know, what what is your balance connected to? It's connected to your ears, right? That Where is your equilibrium? It's, it's in your ears. So if your ears are occupied elsewhere and your attention is somewhere else, are you really paying attention to this craft? And so what I think happens is, and same with the treadmill, you, there is no ground feel. There's no reaction to the ground. The ground is just moving past you and you're just keeping up with it. So to me, Again, I I offered a little footnote is like I happen to live in the middle of like rolling hills of Pennsylvania surrounded by Amish farms. So it's not like everyone has the same privilege that I have. That said, I feel like there is this wonderful physical experience that we are blocking out 60% of by shutting down our sensory organs. You shut down your feet, you shut down your, your ears and even your eyes. If you're in a treadmill, you're looking at the TV, you're not looking at anything, you're not listening to anything, you're not feeling anything.
1: How do you think that people can get into the barefoot running then if they do live in like a city? What is kind of like your, your, what like? So for me, we're currently in central London where it is dirty, busy, grimy. We're obviously not going to go barefoot running here.
0: Or are I we? completely disagree. And do by you? the way, by the <laughs> way, I don't find London dirty, gritty, and whatever else you say, Germany, whatever you said. Yeah. I, I disavow every one of those adjectives. <gasps> Interesting. I, I find it beautiful and super clean. And a great place to run, a great place to run. And I'll give you an example. If you can run barefoot from Harlem to Brooklyn as I have, without a problem, then I think central London is you know is Disneyland compared to <laughs> compared to that.
1: And that was like truly barefoot. It wasn't in a pair of um, barefoot style shoes.
0: Well, uh, we'll unpack a lot there, but uh, <laughs> it was truly barefoot. Here's the reason why. So when Border Run came out, it was it was met with a universal yawn. Like, it was not reviewed. I got no media coverage at all. I sold Born to Run by going to my local bookstore and borrowing a case of books and sticking it in the back of the car. And if there was a 5K, I would drive to the 5K and say, hey, guys, I wrote this book about running. You guys should get a book. And nobody at a 5K is interested in some idiot's book. So I'm like, no, <laughs> oh, I sold two books, bring it back to the bookstore. But this went on through the summer. It came out in May. And... It just kind of trickled along, trickled along, and it started to get word of mouth by June, July. And then in August, luckily, I got on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and at that point, you know, the king had coronated me. But the thing was, it was always a groundswell, kind of grassrootsy kind of thing. So I would just just invent things I could do. So I had an event that August, before The Daily Show, where I was going to be in a tiny community bookstore in Brooklyn in August— there's nobody in Brooklyn in August, yep. and there's not going to be anybody there. And it was like a Saturday. I'm like, dude, there's nobody in New York on a Saturday in August. So I thought, all right, what if I just bring the audience with me? So we made this big like noise. Hey, we're in a barefoot run. Meet me in Marcus Garvey Park in Harlem. And we got some African drummers out there in the park. And I bought a bunch of these Born to Run tattoos, which now I have. You can see these actually
1: oh, you know, yeah.
0: kneeled right into, uh, right into the flesh here. And I thought, let's just do this thing. So maybe there'd be enough idiots out there that actually are into the challenge. And it was actually super cool. And we got, I don't know how many people, like 60, 70 people to turn up in this park, everybody barefoot. And we ran through Manhattan, over the Brooklyn Bridge, in the Brooklyn and right to the bookstore. And just came running on up there like a bunch of brave heart warriors. But you know, what's kind of cool about it. A little side note. There's a woman named Susanna Cahalan, who I hope someday you get her on this show. She wrote this amazing book called Brain on Fire. And at the time, she hadn't published it. And uh, if you look at this picture, there's me and there's Susanna Cahalan. And we both ended up coming out with books, you know, right around the same time. And both of them did really well. And we're both in this weird barefoot run together. I didn't know who she was at the time. So here's the question which you asked me 15 minutes ago. The thing about barefoot running is the goal is not to run barefoot. The goal is to use your bare feet to help you how to run. And so to me, the best way to understand how your body moves is to have good ground feel. you It's hard to run improper. It's hard to drag your foot or come down hard or heel strike on your bare feet. Your feet are full of all these diagnostic panels, which send messages back to your brain. Like, oh, dude, you know what? You land on your heel. That doesn't feel good. Like, ah, that really hurt. Maybe you should think about landing a little bit more lightly. And so to me, I use the bare feet like the 100 up to tell myself what I'm doing wrong. And so... Which you can't
1: do if you're in a big shoe.
0: It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard because that big shoe is is cushioning everything, but it's also creating a different ground surface. You know, you're landing not on the ground. You're landing on some other mush off to the side. And so not only are you not getting input, but you're also landing on a, on a weird, irregular surface. You're, you're smooshing into the foam. So to me, the bare feet are a tool like the 100 Up. Uh, I like to use that tool. But like today, you know, I got a pair of vivos on, these you know, wicked cool vivos. I wear Luna sandals. I just look for protection. So if the terrain requires protection, I add some protection, much like clothing. You know, if it's cold, I put on a coat. Yeah, Not cold, coat off.
1: Do you ever wear socks? Almost never. <laughs> it is interesting, though, because I train in socks in the gym. Right. Not in trainers, unless I need to, which is rare, purely for the fact that I wanted to learn like proper balance with my feet right I sometimes do wear a pair of trainers which are, which are made for that but normally I'm normally I'm just in socks when I'm doing weights or anything where I just I want to feel the floor and feel grounded so I understand your thinking on
0: well there's been a huge push in that direction uh, vivo and um, innovate a lot of these minimalist shoe companies. Are being used like by, by CrossFitters and and lifters as well. For a long time, like the secret of like the heavy weightlifters was they just wear like like plimsolls, you yeah, know, the, the simplest, thinnest shoe. Well,
1: you saw so many of them in Converse, yep, for so long. And actually, there's still some in my gym that wear Converse, yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting one. How about things like gadgets? So like trackers and like watches. Do you think they kind of help people reach their running potential, or do you think they're kind of actually hindering it?
0: This is prejudice speaking. I mean, yeah. That's my caveat right from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, I don't like any of that stuff. No. I, I think it's a hindrance. So, yeah, like Strava. Uh, I want to say good things. I like Strava, the company. I meet a lot of Strava people. I really dig them. I feel like the heart is in the right place. The community side. No, I'm talking about the right. actual like right. management. Like the people who work for Strava, if you guys ever run into them, yeah. they are like the best ambassadors for running you'll ever meet. They're always out there. They're Fun, they're enthusiastic, they're about embracing everybody like they don't make that sort of real runner distinction kind of stuff. They're like, hey, this is great, everybody in. I love the company, I love the people. I just don't like the device <laughs> you know And so I wrestle with it. I just keep thinking that I just I just badmouth everybody and everything right? <laughs> I got nothing good to say about anything And so but my feeling is that devices get in the way because you're measuring and you're testing. And one thing that uh, Eric Wharton, the coach, told me early on is like the big mistake that almost every runner makes is you run too hard on your easy days, too easy on your hard days. People are always in this race mode. So if they go out for a run. Oh, man, I only got 45 minutes. I got to get back to work. I'm just going to pound this out. Oh, I only got 20 minutes in the treadmill. I'm going to hit it. And so everyone's always hitting it until they're feeling bad. And then they're like, ugh, you know, they're, they're worn out. There's never that real healthy in between which actually, curiously, is a great benefit of running with a donkey because donkeys are all about the in-between.
1: Well, I was about to get onto that. Yeah. So do you think that actually we should all just be outside and more at one with nature and how we feel to reach our full potential as opposed to kind of being on treadmills with gadgets and all of this type of thing?
0: So the key, the key word there is potential. Yeah. And to me, the key potential is to love it and live it and for it's- a long time.
1: And is that what Running with Sherman yeah. helps you do?
0: Well, all of it. So to me, it's, uh, there's, there's kind of a through line for I think everything I've done now for the past 15 years or so is with Born and Run and Natural Born Heroes and Running with Sherman is looking for that, that, that true gusto. And again, I think everything I write is really informed by what I like. And one thing that is a gospel about me is if I kind of don't like something, I ain't doing it. <laughs> so, you know, if you try to put me on an eating plan – Ain't happening, you know? My wife treats her allergies every year by going off sugar and dairy in April until October. And it's like, April 1st, she stops. I would do that, and I'd be back on by April 3rd, you know? And she just, no problem, switches it off, switches it on. So for me, if I don't enjoy it, there's a due date when I will just stop doing it. And so I, I think what I'm looking at is, what's the way where you can approach running where it's not like a punishment for haagen dies. It's not like this race I got to do because my roommate talked me into it. I just want to do it and enjoy it. And that, that's what I'm looking for. And with me being outside, like smelling the air, feeling the sunshine on my face, getting my shirt off, feeling some sweat, um, and then finishing the run feeling, oh, that was cool, man. Like, I can't wait to do that again. And how often do you actually finish a run where you go, I want to do that again? Not, not as often as you, as you should.
1: Probably not, I've never regretted a run, I don't think yeah like i've I've regretted runs I haven't gone on right, but I've never regretted a run that I've been on um even if I've cut it short or something, yeah, because I think it's really hard when you feel like you can find you can feel good right um even if it's been really tough, yeah, um, and I always try and look for the positives, but I've never run with a donkey, <laughs> <laughs> how do you even run with a donkey? Was we'll Shabbat on the lead?
0: Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there, too. Yeah. So how do you run with a donkey? Well, the first bit of advice I got was, you got to make the donkey think it's his idea.
1: Because
0: <laughs> if he don't want to do it, it He's, ain't happening. No. So now you're dealing with nature's most stubborn mammal. You know, no no mammal on the planet has more resistance built into its DNA than a donkey. And, um Yeah. And not only that, but you don't have, like, verbal prompts. You can't say, if you run, I'll give you a back massage, you know. If you run, there's going to be extra hay in the stall. Nothing you can promise him, man. That whole thing about the carrot, there ain't no carrots. And you can't use a stick. And so you're somewhere in between. So that was the advice I got was you got to make the donkey think it's his idea. And it took me a long time to figure that out. And that's really, to me, what I hope is the great... Um, revelation that i personally made which is that the key to all animal training which was something brand new to me is training is probably the wrong word it's more like channeling it's it's understanding and that's what the training really is it's not forcing the animal to follow a new set of patterns it's understanding what the animal's pattern is and conforming what you want to do to what their natural pattern is. So the thing about Sherman was, initially, this was a severely sick and lame animal that probably should have been put down. And I know, dude, I I feel the same way. Every time I saw it, I got a pause because my eyes start welling up. I keep flashing back to the day we saw him. I was like, oh my God. Anyway, so he was the last creature that wanted to be stepping on pavement and running. So he did not want to do this. And least of all, what he wanted to do was to be separated from any other creature. He'd been locked in a stall by himself for years. And now he's on this cool farm and there's like goats and sheep around him and me and my wife, my daughter. So for the first time in years, he's around people and animals and there's like life and and warmth around him. So then say, oh, by the way, I'm going to put you on a halter and take you miles the other direction. It's the last thing he wanted to do. So what I had to understand, it took me a while to get this, was instead of separating him from the party, have the party go with him. And so let's get some other donkeys. Let's get some other runners. And let's make this thing like a big old wolf pack, which, again, is something like so obvious. Like when you go out for a run, if it's just you, like, oh, it's kind of cold. The sun's going down at 4 Do I really want to go out. And then, like, two girlfriends call them and say, hey, you guys want to go? Yeah, all right. Let's go get a drink. Oh, sure. And that's it. It's like the secret of all running is just go with some buddies.
1: I want to take a quick moment to do another shout out about F45, the partner of today's podcast. The only class I've ever regretted is the one I haven't done. After a pretty stressful week last week, I'll be putting some non-negotiable time in my diary to head to my local F45 studio in Peckham. I always leave sweaty, smiling and feeling mentally and physically stronger. Thank you, F45. So how did you find other people with donkeys? Willing to run. Because, I mean, it's quite easy to find mates to go on a run with, but not mates with a donkey.
0: It is as challenging as you would expect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so again, luckily, we live in Amish farm country. Uh, we, we moved out of Philadelphia uh, 17 years ago now. It feels like, like nothing, but 17 years. And our where we live is surrounded by massive, huge Amish farms, hundreds of acres in every direction. And so there are people out there sort of tucked away in the hills that have some donkeys here and there, which we discovered after we had one ourselves and needed some emergency help. So a woman named Tanya McKean, who, uh, if you don't get the Nobel for the track clubs, she's getting a Nobel (laughs) for donkey therapy because she just swept in, man. She was just like her own, like, Doctors Without Borders, and she just came parachuting in. Once we told her we had this sick donkey, and uh, she's the one who first put it into my mind, like, look, you can't just, like, fix his teeth and his hooves. You got to give him a reason to live. You got to give him motivation, some reason why he wants to wake up every morning. And that's when I got this idea, got, like, you, know, you know, maybe I can run with him. Maybe maybe, maybe maybe he'll be my running partner. Tanya had two donkeys, uh, Matilda and Sherman. So I thought, well, I'm sorry, Matilda and Flower, we had Sherman. Let's keep the, let's keep the lineup straight. <laughs> so that's basically, we, we started taking from Tanya and adding to our own mix. So she brought Flower over first and she would ride Flower while I ran with Sherman. And that Originally, it was perfect because she would ride flower, and then Sherman was like, oh, my God, look at this girl. This is dynamite. I'll follow this cute donkey girl. So Sherman was, like, locked on to flower. Problem with flower, however, is flower is very skittish. She's afraid of, like, the color yellow. She doesn't like yellow. Uh, Doesn't like orange very much either. Doesn't like puddles. Likes dogs. Hates cows. So, again, we're surrounded by Amish farms, man. There's a lot of yellow. There's a lot of orange and a lot of cows. So Tanya's riding on Flower. Everything's good. And, oh, my God, there's a, there's a cow. And then she, for for reassurance, she'll circle around and try and get behind Sherman. Well, Sherman only wants to follow Flower. So he'll then turn around trying to get behind Flower. And we get this little, like, you know, circle of donkeys going in a circle. So we, we fought this for a while, and then we remedied it, remedied it by introducing Matilda. So Matilda is a mini donkey, and she literally can fit inside my car. I've like actually...
1: a Shetland donkey. Exactly.
0: Right. Yeah. And actually, when I need to take her to the vet or to the farrier, I just stick her in the in the minivan. She jumps in. I'll be driving along, and like Matilda is right next to me in the car. So we introduced Matilda. Matilda is like the boss. Matilda is afraid of nothing. And so she will start running, and then Flower, and then Sherman, and then Flower will get in the lead. So basically what we created was this kind of like soccer team of mixed talents, and together it all worked. And as far as people were concerned, my poor wife, who is actually a hula dancer and an African dancer, by love and heritage ended up being recruited for the team. So we got Mika out there running with the donkeys. And then um uh, twist of fate, we had a, a friend's son who was at university and had a serious uh difficulty with depression, uh life threatening. And um so Zeke showed up and it was so cool because then Zeke and Sherman kinda of looked at each other like, dude you got a problem. You got a problem too. All right, let's be friends. And those two guys just bonded. By guys, I mean Sherman and Zeke.
1: We have a big loneliness epidemic in London at the moment, um, especially in young people. And so finding communities can like be really powerful. And we've done quite a lot of work in my in my day job of trying to like explain how you find those communities. And we did actually set a run club up to like help connect people, and it is amazing to see that having that kind of contact can help somebody. Not necessarily bounce back because mental health is a big thing, um, but it can just be a bit of brightness in a really dark day. Because communities can be so powerful. And I think actually once you find something like that, that's what keeps you running.
0: Totally. And it's yeah. not
1: a, its not actually the running. Right. It's the, it's the benefits you get
0: from the running. <laughs> and the benefit you get from feeling that you have a purpose, that uh, I got to go because, you know, Simon's waiting for me. Yeah. So... You, know, you don't want to go, but uh, that's what happened with us. So Zeke, the kid who was fighting depression, once we he became part of our gang of three with the donkeys, there'd be certain mornings, Meek and I would wake up like, ugh, looks kind of English out there today. You know, it's kind of, kind of wet and cold. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, let's, let's not run today. And as we're having this conversation, like, Zeke's in the driveway. And he, he actually said to this 18-year-old kid, like, well, I, I realize you were counting on me for punctuality and consistency (laughs) coming out of anybody else i would have just punched him in the face but he was completely right and so off you went yeah yeah.
1: there is something amazing though about the mind helping the body reach its full potential i think because the world champs happened in doha and there's three athletes who have all come back from childbirth in the past 12 months and won gold medals and ordinarily if you looked at them you'd probably say they're, they're maybe not as fit as they was or their bodies changed. But I think there's this determination that helps women achieve things in running and especially in like ultra running. Like women are outrunning the men.
0: I'm fascinated by that. And actually in all my books, I keep circling back to that. Like uh, what is going on with the women? There's something here that is really cool and exciting and yet not quite explained. So in Born and Run, I was looking at ultra marathons. And yeah. in fact, yeah, you get above 26 miles. You get into the you know 50K realm. Suddenly, it's anybody's bet, man or woman, who's going to cross the finish line first. Uh, Natural Born Heroes, I started looking at parkour. Do you guys ever see that video, Movement of Three?
1: I haven't, no.
0: Anyone listening to this podcast, just pause and go look up Movement of Three on YouTube.
1: We will link to it, guys, in the show notes, so you don't have to go far. (laughs) I will
0: bet cash money, if anybody can watch it fewer than five times in a row, I will send them $100. It's impossible to watch it once because it's the three parkour women from here in London, Shirley Darlington, and oh, I forget the other two women's names. And they're not professional athletes. Like, one's a realtor, one's a student, one's a single mom who works in a, in a shelter for um, other single moms. And then they're out there, and they're just kind of chatting. And then they start to do some parkour in this, like, playground. And they're laughing. And then it just gets better and better and better. Like, they're just stronger and, like, pulling off stuff like, Whoa! And then they end it by just kind of laughing and walking off for a coffee somewhere. But I love it because to me, it's everything about like what sports should be. But the idea is that if you watch these women, and like if you watch them from a distance, you wouldn't know what gender they were. Men or women, you can't tell. Like There's no dude that's going to do anything better than what they're doing. And then when you get into borough racing, of course, the hugely competitive world of borough racing, you know, but, but it's a small niche sport, but... The greatest champions over 29 miles of high-altitude, rocky terrain are women. women. Barb Dolan, man. You look at her. I've met her. I've been in cocktail bars with Barb Dolan. Like, you don't see Barb Dolan. Like She's just the most quiet person. You don't notice her. But you put her out there with a donkey and a rope, man, just get out of her way. She'll kill you.
1: So interesting, isn't it? I've read about ultra marathons where women have stopped to breastfeed children. Yeah. And still beaten. Yasmid, it's still Yasmid Yasmid Paris. Guys. Yeah, still beaten. in Paris.
0: You know, has set the spine. I forget the race, but it's like the Great Spine race. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was again just at uh, UTMB and Chamonix in the PTL race. Destroyed the fields. and yeah, she's busy breastfeeding and studying for a PhD in veterinary medicine. Yeah, yeah. It just destroys all of our excuses, doesn't it? It,
1: it does a bit, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, yeah. it's one that um, I've really been following. There is a big conversation that's happening at the moment, is about how to like harness your hormones to improve performance and there's a um, there's an app called Fitter Woman I don't know that you've come across them at all no um, so it's run by a researcher and um, they've linked up with a lot of athletes and they actually helped the US female football team during the world, well hmm. before the World Cup Oh right. and they all synced their training to their cycles Yeah. and then after ah. they won they came out and started talking about it
0: makes um, perfect sense doesn't
1: it yeah so there is something definitely different for women to men and how that how that can change what you achieve? I think.
0: Well, I we have a theory about that too. Yeah. Obviously, Go. no, no shortage of theories. <laughs> Here's the problem: it's not that women are better or worse; it's that the rules and the games have been set by the dudes. So, almost all sports, spectator sports, are things that we invented. Guys invented for guys, mm. making use of male attributes. So, you look at the conventional sports: football, baseball, basketball. These are all sports designed by dudes for dudes, taking advantage of male attributes upper body strength, and explosive power. But that's not what humans do. Like, that's not our strength. You know, we are not very strong. Like, gorillas can kick the crap out of the strongest guy. Dwayne Johnson's got no chance <laughs> against a silverback gorilla. Okay, so we're not, we're not strong. We're not fast. Many, many creatures can blow by us. We can't swim. We can't fly. We're not, we're not really good at anything except for one thing, endurance. We, are, we have more stamina over long distances than any other creature because we are hairless and we have full of springy tendons. We are very, very good at long-distance swimming, long-distance running. That is the human thing. And so when you get into the realm where humans are good, the differences between humans starts to diminish, just like the difference between fish, you know? If you're trout, the male trout don't swim a lot faster than the girl trout, then you'd have have no trout. The, The two genders have to be in sync, or otherwise the species would disappear. Yep. They would never be together. So I think what happens is not that women are better over long distances. It's just a more equal playing field. And then the other thing, too, is as far as, like, world championships, about syncing the hormonal, hormonal cycle is concerned, well, yeah. I mean, if, if dudes are saying, well, the world champions are July 14th, and a number of the women say, well, that's an inconvenient physical time for me. And the guy's are like, well, too bad. We have advertising locked in. yeah. But the whole point is, like, just deal with the reality of the body as opposed to the reality of, like, the television schedule. Here's my speech.
1: I like it. Thank you. And my last question is, what did he teach you about running?
0: Uh, You know, something, a lot of balance and sync, and this whole question we got into about that continuity. So think about donkeys or any any long-distance mammal. Super rhythmic. They're not ups and downs. So we'll do a run with Sherman and the donkeys, and we finished, oh, that was 10 miles. felt like nothing because they're very measured and balanced. So he, he got me a throttle back, don't push, and just enjoy.
1: I've got one rather big question, but it's going to help out all of our Welfare listeners. Please, can you give us five tips for maximizing your running potential?
0: I will. You're not going to like them. Okay. okay. Number one, I would just forget about maximizing running potential. I think the idea to maximize, it just feels like you're pushing. And to me, I want to minimize Enjoy it. You want to finish every run thinking there's a little bit left in the in the tank. Uh, number two it sort of falls into step with that. Kind of forget about the racing, like leave that as an afterthought. When you feel good enough, like hey, I feel like I can run 13 miles, then think about doing the 13 miles. Three, the sort of the, the teeter point to me is think about form. It's a very hard thing for me to say. Here's how you do it. The hundred up is a very useful exercise. Lee Saxby has a terrific video on YouTube. It's this amazing thing where he transforms the guys running for him in like three minutes uh, on a treadmill. So if you look up at Lee Saxby, he used to have some. I don't know if they're still out there, but I hope they are. Um, Number four, you know, find a bud, find someone cool. Not only do they keep you accountable because they make you run when you kind of feel like, ugh, but also you're keeping them. So finding the bud is a good thing. And the last thing was an old thing from Arthur Lydiard Back in the day, he began modern jogging. And he had this this byword is never go faster than a conversational pace. And that's what we do with the donkeys. Whenever I start to get uh, gaspy, the donkeys will stop. Like they sense distress because I'm I think, whoa, that's not a good sign. And they just stop. So I had to learn to just be breathing. And I think if you're with your pal and you're at a conversational pace, you're having a good time. And you're not driving yourself into a high heart zone. Love that. That was five quick ones, huh? That
1: was five quick ones. Loved it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming
0: in. This was cool.
1: This was cool. It was fun, right? Next time, can we do it with Sherman?
0: You come out to the place, I guarantee you. Yeah, if you can come out with a microphone, absolutely.
1: Amazing. I, yeah,
0: I'm not sure if I'm going to bring him on a boat across here, though. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I don't blame you. He's so famous now.
0: That's right, that's right. You go He's... to the king. The king does not come to you.
1: Yes, <laughs> no, he'd be wanting first-class fights. <laughs> yeah, so right? yeah. So. demands. Thanks so much, Chris.
0: Thank you.
2: Hi, it's Annie Clark, and today I am here for your well chill cool down flow. Um, we're going to get started pretty quickly. So, when you're ready, maybe have a sip of water, take off your shoes and your socks, and get yourself comfortable um, standing tall. Maybe you've got a mat beneath you, maybe you're just on the floor. It doesn't matter too much at all. Just stand with your feet hip width apart. And then widen them ever so slightly. So just heel-toe the feet apart. So there's a little bit of extra space. Start to bend your knees and fold all the way down. So you're going to grab hold of opposite elbows if that's comfortable. Otherwise, you can just let the hands release towards the floor. And just let the knees be as soft as you need them to, almost as so much so that your stomach can rest against your thighs and let the weight kind of pour forwards so you really start to feel a soft opening up of the back of the body and feel the breath coming down into the back of the ribcage and just breathe soft breath in and out through the nose Notice if you're holding tension in the jaw, can you let that go? And then bend your knees a little bit deeper, release the elbows, place the hands on the floor and step your left foot all the way back so you're in a lunge pose with the hands either side of your right foot. Drop your left knee down onto the floor, point your toes behind you and place both hands up onto the right thigh. So use the hands, use the arms to lift the chest, drop your shoulders away from your ears, open up so you're breathing into the front of the chest and lifting out of the lower back. So the spine is long and as much as we're starting to stretch into the hips now, it's really important to keep the spine long and not collapse into the lower back. So just a gentle lift of the abdomen shoulders, drop away from the ears, jaw is soft. Then begin to reach your arms up over your head, take hold of the left wrist in the right hand, lift up out of the waist and gently pour your body to the right hand side just to deepen that stretch through the left side of the body. Take another couple of breaths. Bring the arms back to centre and then release them either side of the right foot. Bring the right knee so it stacks over the ankle. Keep your left hand on the floor and if the floor feels a long way away, you can place it on a book or a cushion. But place the hand onto the floor and reach your right arm to the sky. So you start to rotate through the upper part of the back. Breathe again, find space through the length of the body. Then place that right hand back down onto the floor. You're going to send your hips backwards as you straighten out the front leg, peeling your toes from the ground so that they're facing towards you and fold over the right leg for a hamstring stretch. And again, just breathe. If it feels tight, you can let the knee stay a little bit soft. If the ground is far away, then blocks and books and cushions or anything you can get your hands on are really helpful here to give you a little bit of extra space. And then we're just going to move between these two places. So start to track your hips forward as you bend your right knee, reach your arms up over your head. And then as you exhale, peel your hips back, straighten the front leg, you're in your hamstring stretch again. So track your hips forward, inhale the arms up over your head, stretch the front of the left hip and exhale back to the hamstring stretch. One more time, inhale, reach up, use your breath and exhale, folding forwards, hamstring stretch, peel the toes towards you. Then place the hands either side of the right foot. Tuck your back toes, push through the heel to lift the knee away from the floor. Lift your hips and step the right foot to downward facing dog. So both feet are at the back of the mat and you can pedal through your knees. And start to walk your feet all the way to the front again. So they meet the hands and you fold forwards. Slowly bend your knees and roll up the spine. Reach your arms up alongside your ears and exhale, folding the body back down. This time it's your right foot that steps to the back of the mat. So lengthen your spine, lift your right foot and place it all the way back. Then lower that right knee to the floor, point the right toes behind you and place both hands onto the left thigh. Now think about opening up the chest, creating space for the breath to deepen now. There's space coming into the front of the right hip and then you can use your next inhale to reach both arms over your head. This time take hold of the right wrist in the left hand and gently peel the body over to the left side, keeping the waist long. Be mindful of the lower back only going as deep as feels good in your body and breathe just one more breath here place both hands down onto the floor bring your left knee over the ankle connect your right hand to the ground, a block or anything else that you might like to use Then take your left hand up to the sky. So we're back into a twist, this time on the other side. So just creating a little bit of space in the upper back. Imagine that you're leaning your body into the space behind you. Good, then place the left hand back down to the floor. We're gonna start to track the hips backwards to the hamstring stretch, peeling your toes away from the ground. So your hips move back in space, and the back of the body is long, so you're extending out of the waist rather than rounding your back. It doesn't matter if your knee is miles away from your nose. Just breathe. Think about lengthening the spine. It's much more important to create that space than to make it feel as though you're going deeper. You're deep enough where you are. And then we're gonna move between the hip and the hamstring again. So as you inhale, track the hips forwards, bend into the left knee, reach the arms over your head. And exhale, take the hips back, straighten the left leg. Inhale, travel forwards, arms over the head. And exhale back. One more time, inhale forwards. Exhale back, hold it here just for a final breath. And then come forwards, place both hands onto the floor. Tuck your right toes, push through the heel to lift the knee from the ground. Then scoop underneath the hips, step that left foot back, downward facing dog. Root through the hands, soften your knees, lift the sitting bows high and wide. Maybe pedal through the knees if that feels good. Take a breath in and exhale, big sigh. (sighs) Start to walk the feet towards your hands. And as your feet meet the hands, bend your knees and place your bum down onto the floor. Squeeze the knees into the chest, make yourself into a little ball and then roll onto the back of the body. As your shoulders touch down, you can rock from side to side. Just feel that massage through the back body and then release the shins. Lie your body all the way down onto the ground. Take a breath in through the nose and as you exhale, imagine the whole of your body is just melting down into the support of the earth. Another deep breath in and a sigh letting it go one more time and give yourself a few moments here to acknowledge all of your efforts to let the body digest all that it has done. To allow the rise and the fall of the breath return to its natural rhythm. And just be here, trusting that that's enough. and then slowly wiggle the fingers and toes, bring yourself back into the space, if the eyes are closed, perhaps begin to let a little light in again, you're all done, I hope you enjoyed moving through these stretches with me. My name's Annie and I share lots of wind downs for runners and for everybody else on my YouTube channel. So maybe see you there sometime soon.
1: Team, thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe. It really helps other runners in need of some help find the show and join our community too. Don't forget to use hashtag WellFar on all your IG posts because I love seeing them. Thanks very much, guys. Before I go, I just want to say a final shout out to F45 for supporting my mission of helping you guys get well fit so you can run WellFar. I genuinely couldn't have done this season without them. Head to f45training.com forward slash WellFar to join a global fitness community like no other.